when the Word of God speaks about doing what is right and what is good, it's doing it on the vertical. It's comparing humankind versus God himself. And when God speaks about this, he's comparing our sinfulness to his sinlessness, our wickedness to his righteousness, our injustices to his justice. And sadly, our standard of good is not living up to God's standard. It hasn't since Adam and Eve fell in the garden. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. The faithfulness of God. Three points that I gave us in our message today. Our advantage and profit in verses 1 through 4. Is God unjust? Verses 5 through 8. And there is none righteous. Verses 9 through 20. And Father, we pray that you would be with us. Open your word to us, Lord. Let us hear what the Spirit has said to your church. Lord, for nearly 2,000 years as Paul first penned these words. But also what the Spirit continues to speak to us this day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so the truth of God. Questions continue. Verse 7 and 8, two questions in Paul's answer. If the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, as some affirm that we say, Their condemnation is just. Paul tags on here that what people were saying about his teaching and the men and women who ministered with them, that they were actually going about saying, let's do evil that good may come. And we do understand that the greater the sinner, the greater God's sinlessness is displayed before us. The darker the night, the brighter the light. That's just a given. We understand these things. But having established man's sinful condition versus God's sinlessness, Paul here supposes that his objectors then would naturally argue, let's go ahead and sin, that good may come. The more we sin, the brighter God's glory. I fear that in our churches today, we have this mindset that we shouldn't be so much concerned about living sinlessly before God, that God forgives our sin. We know that 
we are not sinless beings, and we know that God does forgive our sins, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive to walk in sinlessness, to do our best to walk in God's truth. And whether truth versus falseness, righteousness versus unrighteousness, good versus evil, when comparing our humanity to God's perfect deity, mankind always comes up wanting. Psalm 62.9 says, Surely men of low degree are a vapor, men of high degree are a lie. If they were weighed in the scales, they are altogether lighter than a vapor. Weighed in the scales, it reminds us of the book of Daniel when King Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, had a big party. At that time, Babylon had been besieged by the Medes and the Persians. And that very night, the Medes and the Persians would find a way to get into the city. It was pretty cool the way they did it because they found a way to uh, stop the river that was flowing through Babylon and come in underneath the gates. And so they came in without force or without warfare. Suddenly the Medes and the Persians were in the streets of Babylon and they would simply just take the city. But on that night, Belshazzar decided it'd be a great night to have a party. And in their drunken party, they gathered all the uh, cups of gold and silver and implements that had been taken from the temple of God and had been stored in the treasury house of the king. And they brought them and used them to drink out of and made a joke, a mockery of the things of God. And as we know, the handwriting on that wall, Daniel coming to tell him the meaning of the words that were written there on the wall. But the translation of the one word in Daniel 5.27 telling Belshazzar, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting, that God will bring judgment when he judges. And moreover, some say that Paul was teaching those who ministered with him, that they were actually teaching that let's do evil, that goodness might shine through. And we know that when man is at his darkest, that God is at his brightest. But it was a false accusation. Nor should the church teach that today as well. We should strive to live and to set an example. Remember to say like Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So he says in Romans 6.1 and 2, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The same argument, he'll pick it up again later. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And so with God forgiving our sins, there should be this transformation. Remember, the circumcision of the heart. There should be a change that's not only on the inside, but one that works itself outwardly. And so God, he's just. And he is coming to judge this earth in righteousness and truth. In verses 9 through 20, I'm going to read this as I go. In this section, he's actually quoting from at least eight different Old Testament passages. I think this is significant because he's dealing with the unbelieving Jews. Now he uses their very word to support his argument. I would encourage you to gain that skill in using God's word, it really helps. I was thinking of a time over when we lived in Winthrop Harbor. 
Uh, before we came out here in Lake Villa, at that time I had, I was painting the house and had a Jehovah's Witness show up. They tend to show up when I'm busy on a Saturday. And I was busy. I was outdoors painting. If I'm working, I'm sweating. So I'm outside sweating. So I asked and told him his name was Paul. He said, you know, this is kind of an inconvenient time right now. Could you come back and we'll have a little more time that we could actually talk? He was glad to come back. And so we made an appointment and he came back. I think it may have been the next Saturday. Maybe it was two Saturdays, but we made a, an appointment. And I also asked him, can you make sure we have time to talk? Tell a Jehovah's Witness that you're going to give him a couple of hours. He's going to love you. <laughs> and so I made him promise that he would give me time. And he did. I had him for a couple of hours. And over that period of time, the moment I failed, and we argued, and we used the word of God, the moment I failed with him was when I went to a source outside of the Bible to use my argument. I, I kind of said, I got some material, I'd like to show it to you. As soon as I got away from God's word, I lost them. In fact, they suddenly had an appointment and they had to leave quickly. They left so quickly that they forgot several of their books. I thought it was pretty good. I made copies of everything I wanted. I knew they'd come back for them. Hey, to know your enemy, not an enemy in the sense of uh, that I'm against them, but what they believe is not the word of God. And so to know them, you need to know where they're coming from. And, and to be able to use the word of God, it was a way that I was able to hold them in and to make them contend with me in that sense. So the importance of using God's word. Paul uses at least eight Old Testament references here as he closes out this argument with his unbelieving Jewish brethren. And I think that's important for us today. The more you can kind of learn the word of God and the more time comes by studying the word, reading the word, that it helps you to be able to use the word and use it rightly and to rightly apply the word of truth. So verse 9, the acknowledgement that all are under sin. What then? Are we better than they? Are we the Jews better than they, the Gentiles? The answer, not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks, that all are under sin. So the final question that we look at today, and that Paul, supposing his Jewish brother, asking here, are we better than than the Gentiles? You know, if it doesn't matter, then why does it matter that we are circumcised, that we have the law, and that we are Jewish? And Paul says, we've already shown that all are under sin. And now he presents that argument by using the word of God in verses 10 through 18. But before we get there, a quick look at the purpose of God's word. In Galatians 3, 22 through 24, but the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith that would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law becomes our tutor. It points us in the right direction. It doesn't bring about salvation, God's word, but it shows us the way of salvation. 
that we might become justified by faith. It's not through the keeping of the letter of the law, but through the spirit, through faith that we are saved. So the argument, verses 10 through 12, he's quoting from Psalm 14, 1 through 3 here. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understand. There is none who seek after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. In Psalm 14, uh, the psalmist speaks about man's total depravity here and the fool's purposeful rejection of God. He doesn't even acknowledge God. God isn't even in his thoughts or in his activities. And God looks upon the children of men with this query of seeing if any understands or if there's any who seeks him. And sadly, the fools have all turned aside. They've all become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Now we can ask, and people will ask that today. Really? No one does good? You mean nobody does any good things? And we have to realize that there are people out there that do good things. But when we talk about our definition of good, here's the difference when we define good, we're defining our goodness versus someone else's. We're doing it on the horizontal level. We're looking at other people and saying, well, I'm better than them or they're better than me. But we're defining what good means by looking at uh, people horizontally on the horizontal level. But when the word of God speaks about doing what is right and what is good, it's doing it on the vertical. It's comparing humankind versus God himself. And when God speaks about this, he's comparing our sinfulness to his sinlessness, our wickedness to his righteousness, our injustices to his justice. And sadly, our standard of good is not living up to God's standard. It hasn't since Adam and Eve fell in the garden. As the Bible tells us, our memory verse in Romans 3.23, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. But the fool's rejection of God not only reveals their lack of understanding, it reveals their lack of faith, being unwilling to seek God as their creator. The Bible tells us in Hebrews eleven six, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is necessary. And he goes on, quoting this time from Psalm 5:9, their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. And so David poetically reveals that the unfaithfulness it comes from within. Their throat is an open tomb that's taken in all this uh, the badness of this world, but with their throat, their tongues, they practice deceit. It comes back up. Uh, the poison of apps or snakes is under their lips, uh, Psalm 140, verse 3. And here the psalmist in verse 13, talking about this poison under their lips, he's talking about the weapon of warfare of that of uh, using words to hurt others. Hey, we're already ramping up into another political cycle. It's hard to believe, isn't it? But there is going to be a presidential election in 2020. And here it is. 
early in 2019, and they're already starting to jockey for position. But we know each time our nation comes through a cycle of, of political warfare, we have these lies going forth, these half-truths. It's somewhat like Dave took my words earlier, <laughs> where I had said, because it had snowed and I didn't want to plow the parking lot, knowing that it was going to be 40 degrees Saturday and Sunday, I was thinking, I won't have to plow. The snow will just melt on its own, which it did. So I said, I gambled, and Dave said, you heard it, your pastor is a gambler. <laughs> well, he took it totally out of context, right? But that's what they do in politics all the time. That's not what they said. And sometimes you've heard the actual quote, and you know that's, that's not what he said. That's not what she said. But they use and twist words in that way. And that's what the psalmist is referring to here. The poison of asp under their lips. Psalm 140, verse 3. And then he quotes from Psalm 10, verse 7. In verse 14, it says, Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And here the psalmist in Psalm 10, it's David again. He recounts the craftiness of the wicked, the pridefulness of the arrogant. And he says that their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And they have this because here in Psalm 10, this is amazing to me. I remember reading through Psalm 10 last year, I believe it was. It just jumped out at me there in that portion of scripture that they say, the psalmist declares that they do not seek God because they have no knowledge of God in their thoughts. And, and I understand that, but it's amazing to me because my thoughts are always thinking of God. I don't know how it would be to not have no knowledge of God in my thoughts. I'm always thinking about God. It's good that your preacher does that, but that's how the world is. And we need to look at the world and understand that they don't think about the Bible. They don't think about God. They have no knowledge of him. And so when we try to witness to them, sometimes we need to build and lay a groundwork for them to help bring them into that knowledge. In verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Verse 16, destruction and misery are in their ways. Actually quoting from Proverbs 1.16, and it's found again in Isaiah 59.7. So it's quoted twice from the Old Testament. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in all their ways. And there in Proverbs chapter 1, dealing more than uh, dealing with some mischievous boys, these were young men who were plotting murder and thievery in hopes of filling their house with wealth. And Solomon concluded in Proverbs 1.19 saying, So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. And then he quotes in verse 17 from Isaiah 59.8, The way of peace they have not known. Since God is not in their heart, they have no knowledge of God, then outwardly they have no way of peace. They don't know the way of peace. In verse 18, he's quoting from Psalm 36.1, There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
And David here contemplates the transgression of the wicked. And in Psalm 36, he lifts out seven things that occurs in the wicked's life. But the path begins because they have no fear of God before their eyes. They have no knowledge of God. They don't even think about God. And so it's practical to think that they have no fear of God. If they don't think or believe that there is a God, why should they fear God? So Paul is quoting from at least eight Old Testament passages here to show his Jewish brethren not only that he was a great student of God's word. Look at how many Bible verses I can quote. But he's using them to cap his argument that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so he says in verses 19 and 20, as we close out, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. God did not give his law as a way for us to achieve righteousness. The law was given to reveal our unrighteousness, whether Jew or Gentile, that all the world might be guilty before God. The law does not bring us into justification, but rather brings us to the knowledge of sin. Our memory verse again, Romans 3.23, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But thankfully, God is greater than our sin. And here's the faithfulness of God. He gave the law, as it says in Galatians 3.24, the law was given as our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The faithfulness of God is seen through his sending his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because God is greater, God sent Jesus as the remedy of our sin. So once again, we have our fifth teaching in the book of Romans so far this year. And Paul has been laying out a pretty bleak look at mankind. But next week, he begins to talk about Jesus. He has laid out the depravity of mankind, whether Jew or Gentile, whether moral or immoral. He laid out that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that he might present the remedy of that sin through faith in Jesus Christ. So we were reminded today in our first point, our advantage and profit, that merely having the word of God does not make us the people of God. We're also reminded in our second point, is God unjust, that God is just, that he is coming to judge the earth in righteousness and truth. And then Paul, he uses eight Old Testament passages to show the depravity of mankind, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that there is none who is righteous. But in doing this, he will now begin, and next week we'll get into it. We're going to find the faithfulness of God, that he sent his only begotten son, that God is greater, that he sent his only begotten son to be the remedy of our sins. Next week, I can't wait to talk about Jesus with you. Father, we pray that uh, 
you would just continue to use your word to reveal to us the condition of our hearts. Maybe, Lord, we have been trying to justify our position before you by the good works that we have done or by the things that have been done for us, maybe by being children that have been brought to church in Sunday school or being baptized as a young baby or child. And yet, Lord, we each have to stand before you. And Paul has shown in these first three chapters that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he presents, Lord, now, as we get into next week, picking up in verse 21 of Romans 3, that the remedy of that sin is our Savior Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we know that and that we've come to understand it and that we are not just those who have been circumcised outwardly, perhaps in the idea of church through coming to church and reading your word, but Lord, circumcised inwardly by coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ and by keeping your word and letting it shine through our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.